0: Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark.
1: Welcome listeners and subscribers. Brendan here, episode 201, Friday, August 6th. 2021 201 mark and many thanks to our subscribers and listeners who sent an email congratulating us on our 200th episode Um, yeah I think we're quite proud that we got to 200 and we're looking forward to the next 200 and we need to package up and send off our swag, Mark. I still haven't heard back from the winner, so um, I'm waiting. I'll wait another week or so, and if I haven't heard back from our winner, I will hassle them. We have their email address. So,
0: how have you been, Mark? It's been great, Brendan. It's been uh, oh, the intro is coming back.
1: I hate it's, it <laughs> <laughs> it's great news. It's
0: great. The loop effect. Um, yes. I'm just really enjoying being able to hear it, but our listeners wouldn't realize that uh, our wonderful podcast. Program um, uh, doesn't allow me as the secondary, the um, two I see to um, hear it. Yes. The yes. guest, that's right. Um, but um, but look, recent upgrades to our uh, our software has allowed me to hear it, and I really enjoy that intro, Brendan. So yeah, I've been good, and I'm glad to be here. Excellent. Well, plugging away here, Mark.
1: Um, as we're talking off air before we started recording, um, no news is sometimes good news as far as cases. Um, yeah, interesting cases, but no disasters and no um, headaches. Um, it's you don't realise how stressful it is, do you? When you when you have that one. Um, even just one um, case or client um, or patient that's um, troublesome um, and it sort of knocks you around, doesn't it? It's part of that coping mechanisms that you need to put in place, which reminds me we still need to do that.
0: To be yeah. honest, I was going to say that our discussions here, for me, Form a little bit of. I think one of the most important things to do about those cases is to debrief, it's to talk to your colleagues. I think realizing that you're not alone and that lots of us go through it, um, I mean, being able to talk to you about it and, uh, and, um, and and you know verbalise the things, the issues, um, and the frustrations. Um, I find that to be an excellent tool. So, uh, it's a it's one of the many things I think many of our colleagues should do. Make sure they communicate with each other well. Um, Absolutely. And, on
1: and in my case, it's called venting, Mark. Um, <laughs> and you sit back and are very good at listening um, to my to my vent. Yes. So I'm going to jump into my. Unless I don't think we have a review this week, Mark. No, uh, no, I don't. I'll, I have one that well should be coming up very soon. Um, a little product that arrived at the clinic, and Excellent. I've tried it a couple of times, but I need to, I need to um, test it a little bit more before I do a final review. So I may review it next week, or perhaps the week afterwards. But before that, I want to talk about eating insects, Mark. And we've spoken about this topic. <laughs> Several times, haven't we? And, and you're particularly keen on this particular topic, and it's cooking cicadas, Mark, or cicadas. And uh, it's an article from the US, which we will link to, advetgurus.com and they're worried about the ominously named Brood X, Mark, I've who are in great numbers.
0: I've been fascinated by Brood X. Um Yes. Um, so it took me a while to figure it out, but brood is a group of um, three or four different species uh, that have a seventeen-year uh, interval, like Cycle. lifespan. Yeah, yes. But interestingly enough, they don't have a. Um, they, there is a periodicity to their emergence. So um, each seventeen years, there's a real peak. Uh, for whatever reason, um, perhaps sometime in the distant past, that particular year was particularly favorable. Um, and then, then it's just, uh, um, meant that, um, more and more, uh, cicadas emerge and breed that year. And so that's that. Particular cohort has grown exponentially, and uh, is uh, there are species there are individuals of these species that come out every year, of course. Uh, but this uh, brood X, which uh, is this year, um, and obviously back in two thousand and four, um, that's a, a, a real phenomenon apparently in North America. Yes, and up to one point four million
1: per acre is the prediction, Mark. That's amazing. Uh, and they supposedly their evolutionary strategy is called predation satiation, Mark. Uh, <laughs> I don't know whether you read this, meaning that there's plenty to choose from 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 anyone who wants to eat them because there's one point four million per acre, and you um, you're hopefully not one of the. Um, one name, they get chomped up. Um, the satyrs. Yes, yes. Um, so eating's exactly what many DC residents plan to do, according to the article, when the cicadas arrive. So there's been some recipes out there, Mark, and um, some of them are trying to... Trying to um, Put a positive spin on it and call 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 them the other white meat or tree shrimps. shrimps. Called call tree shrimps, Mark. So uh, uh, feast have not. on some tree shrimps, Mark, because of their genetic closeness to the crust station. And uh, some restaurants in the city have already touted in- insects on the menu and one includes serving them up as grasshopper tacos, Mark. Um, and I think that would be a potentially good way to to serve them because, you know, you could get them Spice it up a bit and, um, you know, it might be a bit crunchy, but you'd probably mask any thought that you are actually eating that particular um, insect there. Um, What do they taste like? Um, Well, I... Following some instructions found on Twitter, according to the article, dry roast them in the oven first and they taste a little bit like a potato chip. So there you go. (laughs) You can have them like potato chips as well. And uh, further experiments, um, some of them haven't um, worked too well. Um, A Virginia home brewer, Mark, tried to incorporate them into a pale ale. Of course he did. (laughs) Quite creative, Mark, um, although he said the results were mostly boring. And emergence cookies is another variation of it. I think I'll be putting some, a bit of hash in that as well, I'd say. (laughs) Um, Crunchy hash cookies, um, cicada cookies. Um, So there you go. So um, quite interesting. And, um, you know, as as, um, I think it's a good good thought, you know, 1.4 million per acre, there's going to be a lot of them around there, Mark. So perhaps we could uh, provide some. um, recipes um, to I, I, satiate I, I, um,
0: humans. I don't know whether our cicadas are different to theirs, but um, ours seem largely hollow. <laughs> there's, I don't know that there's um, all that much meat in the adults. Um, I suspect the um, those uh, emerging nymphs uh, could provide a greater concentration of food. But uh, look, I'm, you know, I've been... An advocate for, um, you know, the cultivation of various insect species as food sources because I think they're very efficient and probably more environmentally friendly and probably uh, better nutrition than maybe some of the things that we eat at the moment. But I don't know about harvesting wild. You know, I don't. You know, anyway, I'm, yes. I'm, not, I'm not entirely convinced about cicada tacos.
1: I've just found a link to a book, um, Cicada Licious. Mark, <laughs> cooking course. and enjoy, enjoying periodical cicadas, cicadas. How I learned to love the bug is chapter one, an introduction to entomophagy. Okay, uh, excellent. So, uh, what have they got in there?
0: I um, dumplings, um, soft shelled um, pizza. Okay. I get the impression from what Stir I have fry. read <laughs> is that they're pretty bland on yes. their own and you need to spice them up with, a you know, with uh, maybe a bit of chilli or... Um, well, I think you're right because one of the recipes is
1: called the simple cicada and it is two cups blanched um, of the little critters, butter, two cloves of garlic and basil, and add your favourite pasta. So it's a pasta sort of um, dish with them, yes. Yes, and a lot of the other ones do have um, bits of chilli and uh, other sort of um, little um, little accompaniments to make them um, toasted there. So there you go. Chocolate covered.
0: Oh, I don't know about that.
1: Yeah, and it's,
0: it's getting worse, Brendan.
1: Rhubarb pie. There you go. No, I think I'll stop there. Yeah, so that's my story, Mark. Um, the- I always
0: look for a neat segue uh, between our news stories and more yes. often than not, I fail <laughs> abysmally to find one and today's one of those days. Um, my story um, concerns uh, scientists discovering um, you know that there's a lot of uh, uh, folk wisdom about um, mothers to be talking and singing to their their babies in their womb um, that in humans prenatal sounds are correlated with uh, um, neurologic changes in uh, infants um, but it's but it's, um, Trends in Ecology and Evolution, a paper in that journal, um, touts the wide range of species that are affected by sounds in their um, prenatal, in their uh, before birth, um, you know, how sounds might affect them. The researchers note that uh, frogs and uh, birds um, a variety of reptiles crocodiles seem to be able to sense and use sound while they're still in embryos we all know about the crocodiles squeaking and uh, stimulating the the um, parents to act but um, they're also responsive to those noises themselves and um, and it may well be that response to those noises affects their uh, changes their behavior to affect their chances of survival um, and so there's an increasing area of um, uh, the study of sound cues and how they might affect animals either in the eggs or within the uterus. Um, This article, though, proposes some, I don't know, some things that I I struggle to understand how they came to the conclusion. There's some interesting phenomenon about the way that um, stink bugs hear uh, their siblings hatching, and uh, that triggers um, them to hatch at roughly the same time, um, and that scientists have thoughts that that somehow assists in a, avoiding cannibalism. Uh, rats with that hear music in utero are born with better spatial skills when they're tested in later life. Um, so there's a bunch of uh, good evidence, but the one that um, freaked me out a little bit, Brendan, was the uh, the... The proposal that zebra finches make a specific call, you know, the, the desert-dwelling finches of Australia, they make a specific call during heat waves, and when they're young, hear those calls as, uh, as embryos within the uh, egg, um, they grow smaller as an adaptation to the hot environment. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I... What's your thoughts, <laughs> yeah. I'd 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 really be interested to look at the actual paper, yes. Yeah, because I s it's, it's a bit hard to like if there's a heat wave, maybe there are uh other factors that are leading to small small hatching size rather than than uh hearing the heat wave call. I don't know. Um but um I'd be I'd be particularly keen to have a look at uh Mylene Mariette. Um, at Deakin University, who uh, released a paper um, concerning that? That might, that might be one of my topics for next week, Brendan. Ah,
1: uh, yeah, it, yeah. What do you think? Uh, I, f- I find it hard to believe. Yes, is <laughs> it's, it's, it's bottom line with that. Yeah. Uh, that the um that they're preparing the babies for heat. Yes, um, yes. Um, the young here calls. Um, and the fetuses in their eggs grow smaller as an adaptation to hot environment. Yeah. Um, we, we must look at the original article, yes, Mark. I think we and, need uh, some, some further yes. research before we uh, jump to conclusions. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and speaking of jumping which, to which conclusions, would be exceptional for us. We usually <laughs> are perfectly happy to jump to conclusions. Well, I'm going to jump to our main topic, Mark. There you go. Um, Contrast radiography in birds. Now, this is one you've suggested, obviously, being a Birdo topic. And I think it's a good one, Mark. Well done. And I'm going to quiz you on this one. And we're going to go through some of the basics. And we're going to assume that we don't see many birds and my first comment or question would be: You know, what is it? What what what's your definition of contrast radiography? What does it cover? What sort of <laughs> processes? What sort of um, yeah? What sort of
0: agents do we use? And what sort of um um
1: why are go- why Are we going why to? Are use we doing it?
0: it? Well, um, radiography in birds, um, radiological assessment is a great tool. They have air sacs, and so um, they do offer um, some considerable ability to, um, you know, assess uh, organomegaly um, because of the contrast. You can see the abdominal contents are enlarged because they blot out some of the air sacs. But one of the difficulties is that it can be difficult to discern absolutely um, which viscera are causing um you know the the dilation of the amassed viscera um and um and so that's where contrast studies really play an excellent role they also give us one of the common things we see um in many of our pet birds is the ingestion of foreign bodies and of course um uh, Survey radiographs followed up with contrast studies um, often allows the the um, very specific delineation of uh, of the location of a foreign body, um, and may even allow you to measure its progress. So, um, I always find um, my interpretation of bird uh, radiographs of avian radiographs enhanced by. Um, uh, The survey radiographs are enhanced by supplementary uh, contrast studies where we instil contrast medium into the gastrointestinal tract.
1: So compared with other species, Mark, would you say that percentage-wise you Hmm. use contrast radiography much more in avian species?
0: Yes, I would say that I do. Um, and, uh, And that's probably because... I've, uh, I had a think, thought about this after I suggested the topic, why might I do it more frequently in birds? It's probable that when, when I have a dog or a cat or a rabbit um, and I am struggling to delineate the internal uh Structures. I'm probably keener to turn to ultrasound in those species, whereas birds, because of the air sacs, ultrasound has minimal utility um, in most birds. The the air sacs provide a a barrier to acoustic (laughs) acoustic um, uh, connection, and so uh, without ultrasound, um, you're aligning your chakras there in the background, Mark. (laughs) It's it's the ice cream truck the home ice cream trucks (laughs) just driven past my mobile studio you've ordered one with a chock top i hope of course with crunchy bits in it um so yes the um i would use it much more (laughs) frequently and um and uh and particularly because uh you know we do have lots of birds who will have um enlarged abdomens, fluid-filled abdomens, um, and we can't use the ultrasound. So those contrast studies help us significantly.
1: Excellent. So you've sort of answered my second question, haven't you? Why use it and and, and the common sort of conditions that you consider using the contrast um, studies in, in birds? Um, so how do we do it, Mark? Give us a five-minute rundown on the basics of it. You know, what do we use? What 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 products do we use? Well, that's a how good, do we give it, um, and how how much um, time how much do, do we wait until we re, um, take those radiographs?
0: And th- these are excellent questions because there are some pretty well-established guidelines to um, to uh, using this diagnostic modality. Um, the fir- oh, there's two main. Uh, Contrast mediums we would uh, contemplate using um, the typical barium sulfate suspension that we would often use in small animal medicine, and iohexol, one of the iodine-based intravenous contrast mediums that we might, you know, that might be used to highlight uh, kidney or uh, urinary tract problems. um, injected intravenously and then concentrated in the kidney. But we would administer both those um, uh, to the gastrointestinal tract by um, uh, installation into the Ingaloovies, um, by a crop needle, Brendan. We would literally, um, we'd try and keep the bird conscious for reasons I'll explain in a moment. Um, we would pass a crop needle and deliver the contents uh, of the crop needle, um the contrast medium to the crop, and um, and then we take uh, radiographs at particular times afterwards. The critical thing here um, is that um, barium significance significantly slows gastrointestinal transit time, um, and so the time frames that you would um, that I would use to uh, get films with barium would would. Last out to three hours, um, so for, for example, I might take um, uh, images at five to ten minutes, thirty to sixty minutes, an hour and a half, two hours, and three hours would be sort of like a standard series of films. By contrast, with the uh, Iohexol, um, it does not. Uh, You know, the transit time is roughly the same as normal transit time. And for most of our captive birds, that's going to be probably 60 to 90 minutes. So only a third as long. So we would probably take films within the first minute of administration, maybe three to five minutes later, 15 to 20 minutes, half an hour and an hour might be all the films we take with IO Hexol. The other problem with iohexol, of course, is that um, its barium not absorbed, so it stays in the gut the whole time. Uh, but iohexol is slowly absorbed from the gut. So once you get past that um, sixty-minute time frame, even uh, if the iohexol, you know, if the, the bird has slowed transit time for other reasons, the iohexol is going to be begin to be absorbed from the gut, um, and uh, therefore you're not going to get a you know, clear outline of what's going on in the gut.
1: So that brings up another sort of sub-question to that, Mark. Are there particular species that the transit time will be a, a, a lot quicker or slower? Um, and what would they be?
0: Gen- as a general guide size is a good indication. So um, for our uh, finches, for example, transit time might be as quick as um, 15 or 20 minutes. Um, For large birds, say galah size, The normal transit time would be um, uh, uh, 60 to 90 minutes. Um, And, you know, if we had a a carnivorous bird, a wedge-tailed eagle, um, they have uh, a slower transit time again um, and they might be a few hours before, it, uh, before their food goes through. And they also have the process of indigestible wastes remaining in the gizzard and being regurgitated. So um, their pattern of digestion is a little bit more complicated.
1: Mm. Okay. So any other tips and trips about the actual process of, of giving that contrast medium, Mark?
0: Yes, there are Brendan. There are some good tips, I reckon. Um, The first one is, I would. My general advice is to use the Iohexol preferentially, given that um, that there are constraints in terms of time um, and you know the way that it's absorbed. It may not always give you as uh, clear a a contrast study as the barium, but it is immensely safer. I the I th- volumes used, the, vo- the published volumes are pretty consistent across the species, and so they're about um, 25, um, 25 to 30 mils per kilogram of either. I've found, my experience has been that I'm able to get good images with smaller volumes, so something of the order of um, uh, 1 to 2 mils per uh, Um, 10 to 20 mils per kilo, one to two mils per hundred grams. And of course, my big worry whenever I do this, the big thing that I want everyone to be aware of is the risk of um, regurgitation and then aspiration. It's the same as barium in in all our species. If it gets into the lungs, it's a disaster and it causes a, a hugely inflammatory pneumonitis, which Almost well, in my experience, it's uh, I've been aware of three cases, um, and all those birds uh, that aspirated uh, barium uh, passed away. So, um, I generally start with the ihexol, I use a lower dose, uh, one at uh, one mil per hundred grams. Um, And I'll often also, if I've got a bird that, um, you know, who I think has an obstruction or some, uh, 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 um, slower gastrointestinal, you know, their gastrointestinal time. They 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 have stasis. Um, then I'd also be inclined to maybe hit them with some um, serenia or something else that's likely to lessen the 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 chance that they. are they're going to regurge and aspirate. It's one of the reasons we keep them conscious. I mean, we have to anaesthetize them to get radiographs, but when we do anaesthetize them, um, it's always, if we can't easily secure an airway, then making sure we uh, have the glottis elevated. So if there is any regurge, there's less likelihood of, you know, that it's going to, I always talk about the little mountain at the glottis We want to make a hill so that any fluid that gets to that part, if they regurge flows away from it and they're less likely to breathe it in. Um, but obviously we're going with with the iohexol, we're going to anesthetize them four or five six times over an hour or an hour and a half. yes and there's always a chance of regurge and it's much better. There's much less risk of a problem if they uh, aspirate a little bit of iohexol.
1: Yes, well, you've sort of covered the the next question I have, which was the risks of, of doing this procedure or procedures.
0: Um, so Look, it, it's one uh, of the the, the the it's a good point to just labour a little bit because um, it's not a horrendous high risk. Um, it's a um, you know, like I said, in my entire career, I've seen, I've known that, that in in my. Hands, it's happened twice, um, and uh, and I'm aware of one other case. So it's not like an overwhelming risk, um, but I think uh, taking those measures to make it even less likely um, is a really good thing. Yes, so uh,
1: it's a hard one to describe in a podcast. But what are the classic sort of signs that you would see um, and? to sort of demonstrate the usefulness of, of the contrast agents, their use in birds, Mark?
0: Uh, I can... The the first one I mentioned at the beginning, that is um, particularly where there's a foreign body involved um, and, you know, filling defects will give you good clues that there are um, there is the possibility of a foreign body. And they often um, show up really quite well. Um, the relatively... Um, uh, um, Small, I suppose, small space inside the gizzard and the intestine uh, means that um, anything that blocks off a little bit is likely to show up as a filling defect on a radiograph. So um, I would be very often we uh, have, you know, if a common one for us to be really happy about is um, feeding tubes that might be uh, plastic feeding tubes that might be ingested in young birds um, and uh, they'll often show up as you know very precise filling defects in radiographs that allow us to say exactly where they are in the gut. They also help um, even in situations where you don't have a, um, a specific um, uh, you know, you're not aimed at the gut. The gut might look all normal, um, but the position of the gut might give you information about whether the liver's enlarged or whether the um, the ovaries enlarged because of the way those structures push the gut around. And you've got the gut highlighted by the contrast medium. It can give you good information even when the pathology is not in the gut. So it's a very useful technique, Brendan.
1: Yes and isn't it satisfying when you use contrast agents and you do see something pretty dramatic on on that um it makes you think you're a real vet doesn't it when you, <laughs> when you um it actually works the way um it was supposed to you, and 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 it um helps you complete that diagnosis um um look i'd just like you to comment on on we you touched on most of the risks there mark um what about um a comment on if we found a a lesion or a problem there in the GI tract in that bird that you end up taking to surgery, um, what do you then have to bear in mind um, with that uh, with that animal, considering you've given it a contrast agent?
0: And it's the same. Uh, this is a um, you know a, a species non species sensitive comment, I suppose. Um, anytime there's barium remaining in the gut, um, then surgery has an extra level of complication, um, and you might well, in a stable patient, say that we did find we had a foreign body in the, um, the proventriculus, probably one of the common locations we would consider a surgical procedure. Um, if we had a stable patient, um, we might wait, um, a day to give ourselves the chance of having that barium pass because once it, uh, gets outside of the, the, um, gastrointestinal tract, whether it's aspirated and, and enters the, the uh, lungs or whether it uh, enters the body cavity by any other route, um, it tends to be very, you know, it's profoundly uh, inflammatory and it can cause serious problems. It's probably a good um, a good thing to keep in mind if, uh, you know, if there's melina um, in the stool, so we have significant ulceration somewhere that's leading to um, to. Uh, gastrointestinal bleeding. Um, then, if we perforate, if we have an ulcer perforate, um, and uh, and that stuff, the barium enters the the body cavity that way. That's a bit of a disaster. But the perforation's a disaster in any case, Brandon. Yes, so, yes, that's right. You're confirming
1: something that's not good. for <laughs> that, exactly. that individual. And, um,
0: and the barium is very unlikely to cause a perforation. If anything, it you know it has that protective effect over the coats and, and provides a physical barrier over the epithelium. But um, if there is a, a, a perforated ulcer and the barium gets out, it just becomes worse. Yes.
1: Excellent, Mark. You've done a fantastic little summary of contrast radiography in birds there. Any final sort of tips or trick tricks or comments? Um, anything we've missed that you wanted to
0: I think um, the only the only other two things I'd mention is um, uh, get very practiced with a crop needle. I think once you, um, it's not a particularly difficult procedure having a full set of uh, those crop needles and just uh, routinely using them to give fluid or food can get you to be very confident. And I think um, that confidence um, is self-serving. If you are confident, then you know you're in the crop. You can deliver the the contrast medium if if the first time you try to pass a crop needle, you're uh, trying to deliver some barium to the crop. Then then you know. I would be fiddly and worried and putting it in and pulling it out and then the bird's more likely to be agitated and regurg and then you've got a disaster. So practice with a crop needle before you do it, um, but do it, but go ahead and do it. It's a very useful diagnostic modality in birds and, uh, and I encourage um, more and more people to give it a crack.
1: Excellent, Mark. Well... I think your ice cream is melted by now, um, so you better call back the little ice cream truck. And aren't they a a, a great little, um, great little um, business? The ice cream trucks, and there's a lot of countries that have them. And it's just, I remember in my childhood, we used to hang out during those really hot, forty degree. Days in Melbourne, Mark, when I was um, with those long hot summers here in Australia, and um, you'd be hanging out for that ice, ice cream truck muse and that classic um, music that really grates on you <laughs> um, coming around the corner. And we quickly um, badger mum and dad to um, grab a few. A few coins, and we'd be out there trying to grab our ice cream and trying to trying to scoff it down before it melts. Because on those really hot days, do those those soft serve ice creams they certainly melt pretty damn quick, don't they?
0: Well, mine has. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, in uh,
1: with that thought, Mark, the outro man's here, and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening.